Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Do You Follow Football Podcast with me, Stephanos, the weekly football podcast where I chat to you guys about all the action and all the goings on in the Premier League. Did Chelsea build on their Derby Day win? How did the two out-of-form teams get on at Old Trafford in Brentford and Manchester United? And of course, guys, the big, big game of the weekend, an injury-riddled Man City travelled to the Emirates to face Arsenal. Find out what happened in those fixtures and many more with me. Starting off with the Saturday early kickoff that saw Luton host high-flying Spurs at Kenilworth Road. We saw a lively start from Spurs and actually they could have really put the game to bed within the first, you know, sort of 10 minutes. But Richarlison and Pedro Porro both missed big, big chances. And Luton, they really struggled early on. They didn't have much of the ball and they couldn't really get out uh, of their own half. But, you know, give them a bit of credit. They did grow into the half um, as it as it went on. And I remember Sumer was sent off just before half-time. I was kind of sitting there wondering, you know, is it going to be Spurs this afternoon? You know, big chances missed. And they've been so good in front of goal recently as well. But yeah, big chances missed in the first half. And, you know, with a lot of attacking player, now now a man down. But second half restarted and it only took them seven minutes to get the breakthrough. And despite being a man down, it was a really quick, sharp play from Madison coming short for the corner and producing some really neat, close-control dribbling. And he's been phenomenal this season so far, hasn't he? And if I'm being honest, the, the goal, actually, it summed it up. You know, Madison, he got the assist, and everything that Spurs created all match, you know, from start to finish, 11 men, 10 men, it, it all came from James Madison. And obviously, uh, the goal scorer, Van de Veen, um, he got the goal for them. And again, that kind of epitomised what Spurs were about, because it was a defender that actually got the goal, and... You know, going down to 10 men, not early on because it was at the end of the first half, but still going down to to 10 men for practically the entire second half. That's going to be, you know, it's a big ask for them. But, you know, they're defending. It was excellent. Really, really good. They they largely didn't have much to do for most of the first half, if I'm being honest. But like I said, after the, the send it off, that changed the game. And, you know, second half, we saw a very controlled Spurs. And defensively, like I said, they stood really strong. And Romero and Van der Veen, they, they were standouts to me. Uh, obviously, Madison as well was very good. I think, yeah, I think he got man of the match, I think, or it might have been Van der Veen. Son had a bit of a quiet game um, by his standards. And unfortunately for me, I um, I captained him on FBL. So, so that's tough for me. But I think we saw a different side to Spurs this weekend. In recent weeks, we've seen them, you know, fight until the end, score some last minute goals and produce some really, really, you know, easy on the eye play and some really exciting, expansive attacking football. But this week, we saw them... Almost have to do the the nitty gritty, the the dirty work, the hard work, you know, going to a relegation candidate's home ground, going one nil up early on, um, in the second half, obviously down to ten men, and their backs were not up against the wall, but they really had to stay disciplined. They had to maintain their shape, and I thought they managed the game, the game really well. And you know, despite the massive three points, um, against Liverpool last week, don't underestimate the uh, the magnitude, so to speak of this win because it's important The, in my opinion it, it sounds a bit controversial but I don't think I'm not going to say Spurs are going to win the league I'm not but I don't think for, for teams that are fighting it out near the top you think of City Arsenal and Spurs and we'll throw Liverpool into that conversation as well the league isn't won against you know Man City away or Liverpool away in my opinion it's won against against those tough teams like a Luton away or when you have to go to, say, West Ham away of last season when they were fighting it down near the bottom of the league. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really, really good win for Spurs, a massive win, especially going into the international break, top of the league as well. Who would have thought that? And I mean, as far as Luton go, 
you know, they created they created chances. In my opinion, I think they created enough chances to actually score, uh, if I'm being completely honest. But their finishing, it was nowhere near good enough. And other than a couple of smart saves that Vicario, uh, sorry, Vicario, I almost called him Vicario. Um, other than a few saves that Vicario had to make from Luton's uh, Carlton Morris, he, he had a fairly fairly easy afternoon between his sticks, if I'm being honest. But Ange Prosecoglu will be feeling brilliant. All these Spurs players, they'll be feeling fantastic. And Spurs fans, sure, I've, I've been interacting with a few of them. They must be feeling phenomenal. Obviously, I've only interacted with a small handful. I can't obviously generalise and speak for, for all Spurs fans, but surely that everyone must be absolutely buzzing. Chelsea and Burnley were both looking for successive wins on Saturday at 3pm as they kicked off. And it was a game of two halves for me uh, as a Chelsea fan. And look, considering we've already lost to both West Ham and Aston Villa, in Claret and Blue this season. When Burnley went 1-0 up uh, with their first shot, I, I was worried, if I'm being honest. Um, Sterling had an early chance just wide, but other than that, nothing really to shout about from a from a Chelsea point of view in the first half. We, you know, we had so much possession and we just didn't create anything. And unfortunately, that's not the first time I've said this as a Chelsea fan, and I'm sure, unfortunately for me, it won't be the last. But you know, we, we just didn't move the ball quick enough at all. Too much sideways passing too. And the only positive, you know, the only positive for us from a from a forward perspective was was Sterling, really. You know, he made the own goal, forcing it, well, sorry, forcing the own goal. And, you know, that was very important just before half-time. Um, Broja came off at half-time as well. And I felt for him because he, he played well against Fulham. But in the first half, he had practically no, no effect on the game whatsoever. He had awful service and... That was down to, like I said just now, the, the tempo of us of our play, sideways passing. No one was really asking the question of Burnley. And if I'm being honest, we, we were a little bit lucky to actually go into the break um, at 1-1. Jackson came on at half-time and replaced him. And he brought a lot of energy to, to the front line, which I think was needed. And he also dropped, uh, dropped deep at times as well. So he was able to affect and apply the energy into the midfield as well. And in general, I think second half, we... You know, we had a lot more energy about us. Uh, we definitely turned it up a gear. It's Sterling, uh, who in the first half, I say was our best player, but if I'm being honest, he was probably our only player that was actually up for it from minute one, if if, if we're being really honest with ourselves. Um, he got himself on a score sheet as well, won Chelsea a penalty. It was nice to see Palmer step up and, and have the character to take the penalty as well. When Jackson getting his goal, that's that's really big for his confidence. It was it was nice to see. Um, he showed really, really good feet and composure in the box to, to finish it. And... You know, I'm hoping for him that this will be the first of many. He was obviously um, suspended against Fulham after picking up yeah, his fifth yellow card in succession. So I'm hoping now, clean record, <laughs> the yellow cards are back to zero. Actually, I think he... Did he get booked? No, he didn't get booked against Burnley, actually. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping for him that it will be a good run of form and we, we're definitely going to need him in this run of form. We've got some really tough some tough fixtures after the international break. But I thought Burnley, you know, they, they were decent in the first half. I don't want to dismiss them... Because, you know, I don't I don't, I want to say they deserved it because I don't want to give them shit, but I, I don't know. I think in the first half, they weren't ahead because of great play or because they deserved to. But I think it was largely down to us not really turning up for the first 35 minutes or so, if I'm being honest. Um, but look, they created chances, but unfortunately for them, they, they just weren't good enough with their finishing. And, and like I said, it's important that we got the win against them and obviously Fulham uh, last week as well, because now we've got really, really, really tough fixtures coming up um, after the international break. And we're going to need players like Jackson firing on all cylinders if we've got any hope in getting points against teams like Arsenal, Brentford, United, Spurs. It's 
it could be a really it could be a really tough tough few weeks for us Chelsea fans, but we have to remain positive. Um, so yeah, and Burnley. Once again, I don't really think we learned anything more about them. They, uh, other than really the a good bit of play in the opening sort of fifteen twenty minutes, they they didn't really have much going forward. You know, like I said, they got their goal, but as soon as we equalised and then came out at half time, we, we were just head and shoulders above them and. You know, they got their first win against Luton, but I think other than, you know, Luton, Sheffield United, Everton, I just think, I just don't think there's any other teams that they can beat other than the few that are down at the bottom. And I just don't see them picking up near enough points to stay up this season now. And at the start of the season, I was, I had a very different stance on them, but I think, I wouldn't say they've played worse than I thought. I think they definitely had a tough, a tough start, but much like a lot of the teams around them, I don't, I just don't see enough from them. And actually, we, when I talk about the relegation sides, you know, Sheffield United, Luton, Everton, Bournemouth as well now, I, I don't necessarily think that one of them will survive due to, due to you know, really good performances. I, I think it would just be who's less shit, if that makes sense. You know, and I just don't think they have big performances in them. I know Wolves obviously went to City last week and they won, but... Other than Wolves, you know, you look at Burnley, I don't really see them having a big result in them to beat one of the bigger teams, much the same with Lewin and, and Sheffield United. But um, but yeah, I think that the international break will probably come at a good time for Burnley. They'll hope to regroup and start picking up points when we come back on the 21st, I believe it is. And speaking of teams that are struggling down at the bottom of the Premier League, Bournemouth travelled to Merseyside to face fellow strugglers Everton. And Bournemouth, they're still looking for that elusive first win of the season and they really didn't help themselves for the opener. Uh, Zabani slipped up giving that possession away to Everton and I actually thought Philip Billing was going to mop it up for Bournemouth but he seems to almost get stuck in the mud for, for a moment or so and as easy as that Everton, they were 1-0 up inside 10 minutes. It was an absolute gift from the Cherries to the Toffees and the second goal, I mean that was nothing short of a fantastic strike from Jack Harrison to, to lob Neto from outside the box. It was, it was brilliant, picture perfect and probably the goal uh, of the weekend, in my opinion. And Decore put any reasonable doubt whatsoever to bed uh, with a third. And whenever he plays well, Everton seemed to do well as well. And he's a real, he's the real heartbeat of of the Everton team for me. Every every good thing that they do, it always seems to, to go through him. He's definitely going to be key to their survival if they do want to stay up. And Bournemouth, I, I thought they were soft, if I'm being honest. You know, this was a real... A real six-point of relegation scrap, in my opinion, even though it's so early on in the season. But... They were just so easy to play against that they didn't really look up for it, if I'm being honest. And, you know, the next time they play will be the end of October once we're back from the international break. And, you know, they could be finding themselves in November w without a win. And, you know, they've, they've got less points than Burnley, Luton and Wolves as well. And it's worrying times for them. And I I, I personally, I, I know I'd put them low in my predictions. Did I think they'd flirt with relegation? Of course I did. I didn't think it would be this bad. I didn't think that they'd be below the likes of the teams I've just mentioned. And there's certainly work to do for them when we do come back from the international break. A team that got back to winning ways this weekend was Fulham. They beat Sheffield United 3-1, who they themselves, much like Bournemouth, are still waiting for that first elusive win of the season. Fulham, they created a lot of chances. I think probably they could have scored more, if I'm being really honest. They were a tad wasteful. And that's something we have seen from them recently in the past few weeks. Uh, but they did find their shooting boots. They managed to score three in the end, uh, one of which coming from Decord over Reed in the 53rd minute. And a really nice, smooth counter-attack by Fulham. And then they pegged themselves back almost uh, with the own goal. 
bit of a misfortune there, and then a lot of misfortune actually with their second uh, goal. It hit the hit the back or the neck of Fodderinger and ricocheted back into his own net, and then William wrapped up the three points with his uh, his goal with the third goal. And again, I think the keeper probably should have done better. He didn't have the best afternoon. A bit of a miserable one for him and Sheffield United, unfortunately for them. It was a good win for Fulham, though, after their derby day loss to Chelsea. And Spurs await them when the Premier League returns on the 23rd of October. And as far as it goes for Sheffield United, their record just keeps getting worse and worse week after week. And, you know, forgive me for being half-glass-empty kind of guy. I said from day one they get relegated. And, you know, obviously I, I still stand by that. But could we actually see them become the side that's relegated the quickest. Two teams that have struggled for form recently are Man United and Brentford, and they faced off at Old Trafford in one of the 3pm games on Saturday. And Brentford, you know, they've been struggling for goals in recent weeks. I think the absence of Ivan Tony is really, really hitting them hard. It's starting to, you know, the goals are starting to dry out for players like Wissa and Mbwemu. And it's, it's not looking good for them. They're down at 15th as well now, but they would have fancied their chances against the struggling United side. And, Brentford's only goal of the game did actually come from a defensive mistake from United. They didn't clear their lines well at all. It's a really poor goal to concede from a United's defensive point of view. And I think that's actually been a real problem for Man United this season. You know, we know they don't score too many goals, even last season. But, you know, with players like Shaw and Malasia out and even the emergency uh, left back, so to speak, in regular and out injured as well. Varane's been out injured. Johnny Evans has had to come in and and do a job. And surprisingly, he's actually he's actually been all right for them, to be fair. In 2023, I don't think I'd be saying that. Uh, Dallow as well, he's had to fill in at left back. And then we've also seen the likes of Lindelof have to fill in at right back because Dallow, Dallow's had to go at left back. So it's a lot of chopping and changing in the defensive line. And obviously, uh, the change of goalkeeper is massive as well. And so I suppose when you kind of factor in all those defensive changes, there's going to be some form of decrease in, in defensive cohesion. But it's it's not good enough, if I'm being honest. But... I actually think if I'm a United fan, I'm or Eric Ten Hag, in fact, I'm actually more worried about the end of the pitch, to be honest, because I just don't think the players are doing it for them. Mason Mount, he, he doesn't do enough for me. Trying not to be biased, obviously, the way things finished at Chelsea were a little bit sour, so to speak. But I actually think he's been worse for Man United this season than he was for Chelsea last season. And that's saying something because he wasn't great for us towards the end of his Chelsea career. And if I'm being completely honest, I'm kind of sat here scratching my head wondering why why they bought him especially when starting him means that Bruno has to be played on the wing and he's so much less effective out wide we all know this and and that's what he was today to be honest Bruno he was he was ineffective along with Rashford and yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm a big fan of Rashford but if I'm a United fan I'm I'm wanting Garnacho to start ahead of him I know it's the performances from him that haven't been good enough we all know what Rashford's capable of but he just seems to be a real purple patch player so to speak and you know the goal contributions in general they've they've really dried up for him but look it wasn't a great performance from United but you know they got the win which is the most important thing and but again they got the win because of moments and usually it's a moment from Bruno or Rashford you know when you think back to last season but it kind of sums up the start of the season for those two you know they weren't involved in the goals whatsoever against Brentford and I think players like Rashford and Bruno and Mount, they, they really need to step it up because otherwise they're, they're just not going to be where they need to be. And I thought, you know, I say it week after week, United made really good progress last season. I thought Eric Ten Hag did do a really good job, but, you know, they've had a torrid start to the season and, you know, it's it, it's tough for them. But look, they did get the win this week, so it will give them a lot of confidence coming back from the international break. And as far as Brentford are concerned, it's, it's another loss for them now. And, you know, they've completely... 
I just don't know what's happened to them. They completely switched off in stoppage time. Uh, they failed to clear their own lines as well uh, for the equaliser. And, but you know, they find themselves now 15th, level on points with Everton, who, you know, we've talking about a few weeks ago, going down a point behind Wolves and two points behind Forest. And you're kind of looking at their, their their next league match, which is against Burnley after the international break. And it's starting to feel like a, like a must win for them. And it's just really been really tough for them recently. And I think the goals, they they need to find goals, simple as Wissa and then Bremer at the start of the season, they were phenomenal, but the goals have dried up for them, as I've just mentioned. And, you know, obviously they'll be trying to get through to January to get Ivan Tovey, Tony back. But even when he is back, I don't know if he's going to stay there. There's talks of Chelsea sniffing around as if we need to spend more money on another player. There's talks of Arsenal sniffing around as well. I think he'd be a great fit for Arsenal, if I'm being honest as well. Gives them a different dynamic uh, as to what Gabriel Jesus does for them. But look, if Brentford... Do, it's crazy that I'm talking about Brentford staying up. I think they will stay up. But, you know, they just need to score more goals. And I think if Ivan Tony comes in, continues doing what we all know that he can do, they'll be absolutely fine. But that remains to be seen just yet. Crystal Palace and Nottingham Forest were part of the only goalless draw this weekend in the Premier League as the teams were odd as even. Gibbs White hit the post and Murillo had a lovely Messi-esque run for Johnson just to save it. And other than that, really, there was you know a few half chances, but there wasn't really much to shout about for, for either side. I think the draw was, was fair. Um, being honest, there's not really much to, to say about this match. Like I said, there was a few chances, end-to-end -end at times, but neither team really did enough to to grab the three points, if I'm being honest. And I was surprised, if I'm being honest. I think Palace will be disappointed because I think they would have wanted to build from last week's win against Man United. And, you know, Nottingham Forest now three draws out of five as well, by the way. I don't think anyone else in the league has drawn more games than them. And they really need to start picking up a few points after the international break. Otherwise, you know, like Brentford, they, they could get dragged into the, into the relegation scrap at the bottom of the table. And again, much like Brentford this season, I didn't think Forest would have have relegation to worry about. I thought they'd not flirt. I think I overused that word too much, flirt with relegation. That's definitely a phrase that I say nearly every other week. Um, but no, I, I did. It's true. I thought that they would flirt around relegation, but I thought they'd have enough to to stay up. And, you know, they're not, they're not in the bottom three at the moment, but if you look at the next few weeks, it's definitely, it's not out of the question. They really need to start kicking it up a gear when we come back from the international break in a couple of weeks. Now, a match that I was really excited for was Brighton versus Liverpool, and it didn't disappoint. It was a really good game, a great advert of two really good footballing sides from the Premier League. And Liverpool, you know, they started well uh, with some good early pressing, and we've come to expect that now, really, from Jurgen Klopp's side. But Brighton, they didn't let that press stop them from, you know, playing their own game, and it looked like a more characteristic performance from them, unlike last week uh, when they lost 6-1 to Villa. And, you know, they got their reward for, you know, playing their good football. They went 1-0 up after VVD played a, a hospital pass, you know, really under underhooked pass. It was really poor from him. And he's normally so assured at the back. Uh, Allison's positioning, could it have been better? I think so. You know, he got caught out and, you know, like just like that, Brighton were 1-0 up. But it was a great move to get Liverpool level. Uh, some really nice one-two touch passing and Salah finished off the move uh, to make it 1-1. And, and from then on, Liverpool, they... They really raised their game. You know, I spoke about Brighton playing their game and once Liverpool equalised, they didn't really let Brighton do that as much. And, you know, like I said, they, they really kicked it up a gear uh, with their high press and they had some really good passages of play. And they got their reward for it. Uh, they won a penalty in the 40th minute just before half-time. And, you know, when when you when you scored just before half-time, we saw it, you know, with Chelsea. 
it it changes. I know it's really cheesy to say, but it really does just change the dynamic of the game. It changes the the team talk that the managers have to give. And you know, Salah made no mistake in giving Liverpool the lead from the spot. And you know, you bet your house him to score a penalty, wouldn't you? To be honest, I thought Pascal Gross is actually a little bit sorry, Pascal Gross, Pascal Gross even. I think I'm getting worse with my English as these episodes go on, guys. I really do. Maybe I need some some speech therapy or something. Um, but yeah, I thought Pascal Gross was really fortunate, if I'm being honest, to to actually be on the pitch. To be honest, I think the the goal, the, sorry, the the tackle on Sobislai wasn't any malice in it. But if he doesn't make that challenge, I think he scores. He's stopping a a goal scoring opportunity. But um, then into the second half of Liverpool, they were on top for pretty much most of it, if I'm being honest. You know, don't get me wrong, Brighton, they did look dangerous at times going forward in the final third. But Liverpool, they defended well. And in terms of the midfield, I feel as though they really, they dictated the, the temper of the game from the midfield. And Brighton, you know, I spoke saying that they started the match really well and they, they were almost back to their selves after the the disappointing 6-1 defeat to Aston Villa. But in the second half, they almost... I don't want to say they didn't stop trying. It wasn't that. They still tried to play their game, but they were just nullified. You know, Matoma, he was really quiet for Brighton and he had very little effect on the game. And, you know, I know everyone talks about Trent's defending and how poor it is, but he really nullified Matoma this week. And until Joe Gomez replaced him, he didn't really have much to, you know, much to contribute to the match. He did get a bit more joy when Gomez did come on, you know, during some some important fouls for Brighton. But like I said, he just didn't do enough for me and... He's a player who's been phenomenal this season and, you know, playing midweek in Europe, I'm pretty sure he played all 90 minutes. This is where we're seeing that that fatigue of European matches really, really affect Brighton, if I'm being honest. Uh, but look, I'm talking like Brighton lost. They didn't lose. You know, they got a goal uh, from a really poor defensive error uh, from Robertson. He completely switched off, you know, and he's normally so reliable in that Liverpool back four. He, he just let the ball go past him and when the ball fizzes past you in in your own box. Yeah, you don't want to stick a leg out. You absolutely don't want that guy into your own net like we saw the other week with Joel Matip against Spurs in the last kick of the game. But, you know, you, you, have, to, you have to do something. You can't just pull out and let the ball go, go past you because that's what happens. And as soon as the ball went in, all, all the defenders and pretty much every Liverpool player in the box kind of stood there just, just looking at Robertson, almost saying, like, what are you doing? Uh, but Brighton, you know, they could have actually won it. Joel Pedro... He was in the, just outside the six-yard box. The ball's cut across to him. He's got a good, a good few yards of space. No one's putting any pressure on him, and he just skied it. So, although Liverpool did, you know, they dictated the tempo in midfield and they defended well, they, they could have actually left you now with no points. I think they'll be disappointed um, at this result. Like I said, they dictated a lot of the tempo in the midfield. They had some chances themselves. Gavin Birch hit the crossbar. He was good when he came on, I thought. And I think Brighton, I think, although they could have won it, and probably, they probably would have left the pitch thinking, you know, could we have done more? You know, did we leave everything on the pitch, so to speak? But I think if you offer the Zerbi and his side a point before the game, you know, I, I think they would have taken it. Another Sunday afternoon match that ended 2-2 was West Ham versus Newcastle. Both sides played in Europe uh, midweek, so they were going to look a little bit leggy. Um, but look, let's start on the positives. It was a lovely goal uh, from West Ham for the first goal. Bit of fortune for Newcastle for the equaliser. Uh, but much like Brozier last week uh, against Fulham, you know you've got to be in those in those positions to you know kind of pounce on those mistakes, and and that's exactly what he did. Isaac got his second goal of the game as well on a plate to him from Trippier, and I thought he was phenomenal all all game. He was a real threat down that right hand side, and you know if you're looking at the right backs in the Premier League now, I, th- I think he's got to be up there. You know, if, I spoke about Gareth Southgate 
a few weeks ago. Surely Trippier's got to be the starting right back. He's been he's been phenomenal this season. Uh, Isaac as well. I think he had a great game. He should, probably should have put the game to bed after rounding Ariola. Uh, but his shot, unlucky for him, he hit the post. And Newcastle, they live to regret that as Kudos uh, equalised in the 89th minute with virtually the last kick um, of the game. And what a way to get your last, uh, sorry, your last, get, what a way to get your first um, West Ham goal. And they nearly took all the points, West Ham, but nor Bimrama or Alvarez could steer it in the net for the Hammers. I thought also that, you know, I don't really want to talk about refereeing decisions, especially after after the Liverpool Spurs match, and I'm probably going to go into depth a little bit more about the referees in England and the and the VAR. But I thought uh, Bruno G was very, very lucky to to stay on the pitch, if I'm being honest. The foul on Ward Prowse already on the book him. Stops a promising attack. If I'm being honest, I don't really know why the referee didn't book him. And certainly I'm not sure I'm not sure if it's the VAR's job to intervene in those situations. But I, maybe the VAR could have done something. I'm not really too sure. But I think both teams coming in there would have been in decent, you know, they're in decent form. I think it's a good point for both. And a fair result as well, as I don't really feel as though either side took took charge of the game. And, you know, after playing with midweek, as I said, they both they both looked a little bit leggy, uh, if I'm being honest. Now, onto the biggest match of the weekend. We had Arsenal play Man City. And this match it was all anyone could talk about this week, uh, myself included. And I was really looking forward to this match, actually. You know, we've already had some some great matches from the uh, big six. <clears throat> Excuse me. We've had Spurs versus Liverpool, full of controversy that game. And the North London derby a few weeks ago involving Spurs and Arsenal. That was also a, a brilliant game. I thoroughly enjoyed watching both. And I really thought this match would be kind of more of the same, really. I thought this could be a match that, you know, we'd be talking about come the end of the season. But it, it, it wasn't. You know, there was no end-to-end -end action. There was no wonder goals. And actually, I thought both teams... Rich coming from a Chelsea fan at the moment, but I actually thought both teams looked looked fairly average. If I'm being honest, maybe the the midweek games have, have taken their toll and affected the team more than we thought. But it was surprising. And look, I said last week Arsenal would win uh, in my prediction. Um, Thirty three percent of you actually agreed with me by looking at the poll on last week's uh, episode. So well done to you, thirty three percent. Well done. And you know, like I said, Arsenal they had an extra day's rest. No Rodri or KDB for City. Uh, Bernardo Silva and John Stones came back after lengthy times um, on the sidelines. Rico Lewis and Kovacic playing together in that pivot. Very you know inexperienced uh, partnership there. So if there was any time for Arsenal to to get their win over City, it was going to be this weekend. And you know they made no mistake about that. Martinelli got the winner after his heavily deflected shot hit the back of the net. I felt. Uh, Feel a bit sorry for Edison, such a great goalkeeper. He didn't actually have much to do all game, really. Um, if I'm honest, I think both keepers probably could have taken the night off. If I'm being completely honest, um, but yeah, there was no chance that he was he was saving that. But Martinelli, he done really well. I thought in a game that lacked a lot of excitement and just I don't want to say quality because they're both still very good teams. But you know, in essence, they they were average. They not, neither team played well. But in a game that no one really took so to speak Martinelli you know he took his chance and was it lucky of course it was and Arsenal have actually been lucky a lot this season you know penalties deflected shots own goals that offside um uh when they played Man United a few weeks ago in my opinion I, th I think that should have been a goal for United but that that's irrelevant now that's the past you know and they've kind of I, I, I don't think they've played bad at all they've played well at times but they definitely in my opinion I think they've been scraping results and I think they've, they've been lucky to get results. And 
that's kind of what you need, if I'm being honest. You know, how many times have we seen a resilient Chelsea side get results when they shouldn't? How many times have we seen Man United pop up in Fergie time and get results that they shouldn't? How many times have we seen Jurgen Klopp's resilience pay off and, you know, they win games where they just shouldn't? So, you know, it, it, it's it's a good indicator on what Arsenal are capable of this season. Um, I think David Raya, he looks very shaky in the first half after, you know, he's had a run of games now and Ramsdale hasn't hasn't played, I think, about four or five games now. So maybe after the international break, that will rejig Artesis thinking. And, you know, City, the front line, they pressed him really well pressed him into mistakes but the second half I don't know City just didn't do that at all and if I'm being honest I probably I think it's the worst well actually I don't think I know for a fact it was the worst performance I've seen from City this season and as I was watching the game even in the first half I was sitting there to myself thinking you know when was the last time I I saw City play this bad because I, I I just couldn't remember it's been that long and it was really uncharacteristic for them clearly the Injuries and the suspensions, and obviously playing on Wednesday, it it took their toll on on Pep's side because you know they just looked really really flat. And look, I don't want to be all negative about it. Like I said, I thought Martinelli played well. Trossard was atrocious, if I'm being honest. He had no effect on the game whatsoever. And when Martinelli came on, he, he did give the game a little bit more energy, and you know he played well. I thought Declan Rice was also very good. So those two stand out to me in a game that lacked any real quality action or. Or excitement, as I've said. Um, and look, whether or not I or you, or sorry, you and I, whether or not you or I think Arsenal can or can't win the league, that, that's irrelevant. You know, after this win, they'll be, they'll believe they can win the league. Uh, after overcoming an awful record against Pep and City, they'll, they'll probably actually not want the international break to come because they want to build from that and carry on momentum. So probably, if we're being honest, the international break probably suits City after losing two and a bounce as well when... You know, I know this is the Arsenal-City game. We've already spoke about the first game, uh, sorry, the Spurs game um, much earlier in the episode. But I do want to link this back to Spurs because, you know, everyone's saying about, you know, City two two losses on the bounce. What's going on? Everyone will talk about, you know, Arsenal, can they win the league now? They're in a great position. But let, let's, let's not mention Spurs, yeah? Let's not forget about Spurs, sorry. Spurs are top of the league. Yes, only by goal difference, but they're still up there. And, and you compare... What Spurs are up against at the moment, obviously they're up against Pep. We all know about City. We all know about Liverpool. You know, Liverpool and uh, City, they've had Pep and the club for years. They've been at the top for years. And Arsenal, you know, this is Arteta's, I think it's fifth or sixth uh, season and they haven't been at the top for years. But last season, you know, it took them, you know, a few years. But they challenged City and obviously this season it looks like they're going to challenge City again. But Ange Postacoglu at Spurs, you know, he's not even been there six months and... Look at what they're doing. They're challenging the big boys. So let's not forget about them here. So really, it was, it was probably actually one of the very, very few occasions in football where you had the Spurs fans maybe hoping for an Arsenal win. So it's surprising. And as well, it's, you know, as a Chelsea fan, I feel a little bit left out. Um, I'm not going to lie. But, you know, Chelsea, we've had, we've had years and years of trophies. So maybe it's time for Arsenal or Spurs to actually, you know, pick up the slack and do London proud. But it's nice to see two London teams um, at the top of the Premier League. So, guys, that's the Game Week 8 recap done and dusted. A weekend that saw Chelsea and Everton find their shooting boots and get wins. Spurs now top of the league and City lose their second consecutive match in a row. And if I'm being honest, I don't know out of all those four things I've just mentioned. I don't know what I'm more, what I'm more surprised about, if I'm being honest. Uh, but there are no predictions um, on this week's episode. I'll be doing those... 
next week, on next week's episode. Even though there's an international break, I will still have an episode for you. I'm going to talk about a little bit uh players that I think have performed really well so far. And I'm going to do my uh, team of the season so far, so to speak. Because sometimes I don't always get uh, enough time to basically just talk about everything I want to talk about. Sometimes I'll release an episode and then after I'll be like, oh, I wish I spoke about this player or oh, I wish I shedded light on this player, blow etc. So I have that for you next week. And speaking of predictions, I've got a little something for you guys. I've got a giveaway to do. Um, so, long story short, to be entered into the giveaway, first of all, you need to be following us on Spotify right here. Press that little button and give us a nice little five-star rating. We know how much that helps. And if you've been listening to the podcast, you'll know that I do my predictions each and every week for the upcoming fixtures. And what you guys need to do is go back, have a listen, and see how many I actually got right. I'm going to be honest, I don't think it's going to be a lot. But yeah, you need to see. Let's see if my ball knowledge is up to scratch for the viewers. Um, so just some clarity on that. If I said, you know, Spurs were going to win 3-1 and they won 4-1, we're counting that as correct. It doesn't matter about the whether or not I got the scoreline right. It just matters if, you know, they won. So if Arsenal played Tottenham and I said Arsenal will win, ignore the scoreline. It's just if they win, they win. Boom, that counts. Same with draws. If I say it's going to be 1-1, and it was nil-nil or 4-4, four, four, irrelevant. As long as I've got the result in terms of who won or if it's a draw, as long as I've got that part right, you count that as um, as correct. If you do have any questions, feel free to DM me on Twitter, at DYFFpod. So you need to go back to episode, episode number four. So it's from episode number four all the way to the predictions on last week's episode for the matches that I spoke about today, if that makes sense. But again... If, if if you're not 100% sure, don't be shy. Message me on Twitter at DYFFpod. Don't worry, I don't bite. Uh, just a quick couple shout-outs before I say goodbye to you guys. Shout-out to Wentron MCFC and FPL underscore Wasteman. Thank you both for the continued support. Remember, guys, rate us five stars on Spotify. Follow the pod on Spotify as well. Not only to be entered into the giveaway, but obviously to support us. And me. Well, when I say us, I mean me. This is a one-man pod. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter as well, at DYFFpod. That's at DYFFpod. And as I said, if you're unsure about the giveaway, if you're unsure what to do, if, if I didn't explain it too well, don't be shy. Message me on there, at DYFFpod. That's it from me this week, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you heard me. I'll catch you next week.